Last week, we wound up the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. And the title that I made for that study was, Who Do They Say I Am? Now, why did I tell it this? We talked about the death and burial of Jacob. And also, the eventual death of Joseph, the dreamer. And at, his, at Jacob's funeral, there were a lot of people. When Jacob died, it took them 40 days to embalm his body. But the Egyptians cried for 70 days. Mind you, these were the Egyptians. They weren't of the tribe of Israel. They weren't Hebrews. But because of their love for Joseph and what Joseph was able to do for them, when Jacob died, they mourned with him. And when they brought Jacob's body back to Canaan, they even named that place the Meadow of Egypt. Why? Because even the Canaanites saw the great mourning over the death of Jacob by this time named Israel. What sad occasion it would be if you and I pass away and the only person who is in your funeral home is the security guard. And I shared with you about my cousin. My cousin who, whose name was pasted over the newspapers. Front page. Some of you were, this is 1966. Some of you had no idea. Some of you haven't even been born yet. 1966. The first amateur golfer to win the entire Philippine Golf Open, composed of both professionals and amateurs. Because of his great achievements, he is the first Asian, the first Filipino to be invited to Augusta, the Masters Golf Tournament, where they give the what? The green jacket. But when he died, there was no one. He died alone. And my wife was in Bacolo during that time. And when they went to the funeral parlor, of course, when you go to the funeral parlor, what do you do? First, you have a list, right? Oh, room A, or oh, chrysanthemum room, or whatever. They couldn't find my cousin's body. You know where my cousin's body was? He was on the hallway near the morgue. And his body was just covered the cloth and he was there for about three days how sad to have all of these accolades to be so famous all over the world he used to play golf with President Marcos movie stars his girlfriends were international the first time I saw a woman from South Africa because they would come over to our house where he lived with us but when he died no one was there. No one was there. That's why the Bible is telling us and reminding us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what will you give in exchange for your soul? When you and I die, what will the people at our funeral say about us? 
We've been studying the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We've gone through all those 50 chapters. We've discussed about how God created everything from nothing. Ex nihilo. When there was nothing, there was God. And how these four great events from the creation, the fall, the flood, and to the nations. And then we studied four great people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And throughout our study, we are learning and we continue to learn that God's triangle of blessings begin with God and His Word. And we take God and His Word by faith. And because we say that we believe, we obey. For you to say, for me to say that I believe and I do not act, I submit to all of us, we have not yet believed. And because we believe in God's triangle of blessing, we base our lives, our actions on God's promises, doing it God's way, doing it in God's time. And the assurance that we have is we will have God's best. Once we dabble, once we put our finger, once we put anything in the recipe of God, it will be messed up. So trust God through His promises. Trust God through His ways. Trust God's timing. And trust that you will receive God's best. This morning, I want to do like a wrap-up of those four great men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I entitled our message this morning, The Fate of Your Faith. The fate of your faith. Let me show you two families. The Duke family and the Edwards family. Under the Duke family, 540 known descendants. 400 were physically shipwrecked. 310 professional paupers. 130 convicted criminals. 60 habitual thieves, 7 murderers, 20 learned the trade, half of whom owed it to prison discipline. On the other side, you have the Edwards family. I wish there was some uh, data on the Adams family, but I don't have any data on that one. But we have the Edwards family. 1,394 known descendants. So the guy who put this together traced their genealogy, all right? So the Duke family had 540 descendants. The Edwards family, 1,394. Now, what was his line? 14 college presidents, 100 professors, 100 ministers of the gospel, missionaries, and Bible teachers, 100 lawyers, 60 doctors, and many authors. Why is one family line different from the other? Because the Edwards family line were God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians. They lived their life by faith. That's why I titled this message this morning, The Faith of your faith. 
everybody has some kind of faith. Do you believe that? The robber. Does he have faith? What is his faith? The faith of the robber is his complete understanding. Is if I do not steal, I will not survive. That is a measure of faith. Yes? You are all exercising faith right now. Look at you. Sometimes I envy you. You're there. You're seated. Right? You are all exercising steps of faith. You really believe that that chair can accommodate you. And accommodate your weight. That's why you're relaxed. If you don't believe that that chair will accommodate your weight, you'll be sitting at the edge and you'll be like this. Why? The chair might fall. But because you have faith in the chair, you can relax, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy. The faith of your faith. What legacy will you and I leave to the generations that follow after us? What is legacy? Simply put, Legacy is the sum total of your daily choices. The sum total of your daily choices. Think about it. And if we want to leave a godly legacy to the generations that follow after us, we should begin with a godly perspective. And that godly perspective will produce godly thinking. Godly thinking will then produce godly choices. Godly choices will then produce godly behavior. And godly behavior will produce a godly legacy. So we're going to look at these guys. Abram, who then begot Isaac who then begot Jacob, who then begot Joseph. And as an overview of our message this morning, Abraham, he had a pioneering faith. Isaac, he had a passive faith. Jacob, he had a restless faith. And Joseph has a tested faith faith. Before we proceed, why don't we commit this time to the Lord this morning. God Almighty, thank you that we have the freedom to study your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the Bible. May we look at your word, Lord God, and learn what it is you want all of us to learn from your Bible. And not only to understand and to learn, but to apply it in our lives, Lord, by faith. Because your word says that the righteous shall live by faith. So help us, Lord God, as we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of faith. Can we all read this? Now faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Who in the Bible, in your recollection, would not believe that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead unless he saw him? Thomas. 
This Thomas, who spent three years with Jesus Christ, would not believe. He said, unless I see his nail-pierced hands and put my, my hand in his side, I will not believe. There's this song by, I think, never mind. It will reveal my age. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Now, why is faith important? Why do we need faith in order to pass on a godly legacy? Well, the same book tells us in verse 6, and without faith, it is what? Impossible. It is impossible to please Him. Who is that Him? God. Why? For he who comes to God, number one, must believe that he is. Number two, that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So is faith important? Do you want to live and pass on a godly legacy? Where does it begin? Faith in God. God is God and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Are we all on the same page? Alright, so we'll take a look at Abraham. We said that he is a man of pioneering faith. Now what is a pioneer? A person who is among those who first enter or settle a region, thus opening it for occupation and development by others. He was the first to open or prepare to take part in the beginnings of or to lead the way. When you break ground for the first time, maybe you're opening up your business, you are the pioneer. I was here in the U.S. in 1987. I was here for four months. My wife, Lynette, and then our child, Lawrence, was still in the Philippines. Things didn't pan out. I, I called my boss, and he, he offered me a job. He said, if you are coming back, we are opening another finance company, and I want you to be here. We're pioneering this. So the company hadn't started up yet. So I talked to my wife, and I said, there's a job waiting for me. Should I just go home? She said, yes. So I went back home. So I was part of that pioneering effort to open up that business. Abraham, as we look at him and his pioneering faith, why is it that we regard him as our pioneer of the faith? Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. Who initiated the conversation? God. God initiated the conversation. Abraham was an ordinary person just like you and me. But God chose Abraham. And what did God tell Abraham? Abraham, take everything that you have and go. Where, Lord? To this land I will show you. Where's that, Lord? To this land I will show you. Where's that, Lord? God didn't tell him where to go yet. God revealed to him his plan, but he didn't know. 
That's why, what do you need? You need faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Abraham didn't know what's going to happen. All I know is I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. That's all I know. So Abraham pondered. He researched. He got his Google Maps. He plotted out where he was going to pass. Am I going to take the 605 to the 210? Or the 91 to the 605 to the 60? No. What did Abraham do? So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed Haran. Did he have any doubt? No. The moment God said, take everything. Go to this land, I will show you. Let's go. Let's go. Problem is, he's 75. How will he be a great nation? He has no children. He's 75. His wife, Sarah, was barren beyond childbearing years. And the Bible says, her womb was dried up. How will I be a great nation? I don't even have one child. But Genesis 15 tells us, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, verse 6, God kept on assuring Abraham, as many as the stars, so shall your descendants be. If you can count on the seashore, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham, all he did was, he believed. He believed in God. Friends, your faith, my faith, should have an object. And the object of that faith of Abraham was in God. Abraham believed in God. And what did God do? He reckoned it to him as what? Righteousness. That word reckoned is an accounting term. God credited it to him. Those of you who are in the counting, you have two sides of the ledger, yes? Debit, negative. Credit, positive. Correct? God imputed his righteousness on Abraham. And all that Abraham did was what? God, I believe in you. I believe in you, God. And God reckoned it. God credited it. God imputed his righteousness on Abraham. Why? Because of faith. Genesis 21, verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. What was the promise of God? You'll be a father of a great nation. How can you start a family if you don't have any kids, right? So 25 years later, God made good on his promise to Abraham. At 100 years of age, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. Now we know from our study that in between, there were some... Uh, 
intramurals. And uh, Abraham had a child by Hagar named Ishmael. Now, I was researching, and lo and behold, in the Quran, which is the holy book of the Muslims, they have Ibrahim, Abraham, the father, Ismail, which is Ishmael, and they have this guy, other guy called Isaac, I-S-A-Q, which is Isaac, the patriarch in the two lines. But God said, the blessing will come through the line of Isaac. That's why we refer to Abraham and the Bible refers, refers to Abraham as what? The father of our faith, the patriarch. That's why as we look at him, he is a man of pioneering faith. All he did was to believe and trust God. He followed God. And in due time, God blessed him with Isaac. From Abraham, we move to Isaac. Isaac had a passive kind of faith. What does passive mean? Not participating readily or actively. Inactive. Not involving physical reaction or active participation. Inert or quiescent. Passive. You just let things around you happen. You're not really quite involved. Applying that, for example, to your parenting style because we're inviting you to that parenting retreat, right? So you're a passive kind of parent. So your wife will tell you, for example, hey, you know, you better talk to our, our son or our daughter because I am observing this or I'm observing that. Oh, okay, that's fine. Is she young? Is that your time? She will learn, he will learn by that time. That's okay. Let, let things be. It will all, we turned out. We turned out well. So they're going to turn out well too. You relax. Very passive. Abraham, he was very active. When God told him, what did he do? Obey right away. So at 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. So now we're looking at Isaac. His faith is very passive. How do we know? One Bible author writes it this way. I didn't put his name there. I just put his quotation. Referring to Isaac. His was a quiet, peaceful, normal life. He was the ordinary son of a great father. And the ordinary father of a great son. Alright? Now, why do we refer to Isaac as one who had passive faith. Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Remember, God said, I'm going to bless you. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had owned, please place your hand under my thigh. Which means a solemn oath. We discussed that in the past. 
And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, from among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Who was more involved in looking for a wife? Abraham, the father, or Isaac himself? Who? Abraham, the father, was more involved. He was more proactive in looking for a wife for his son, Isaac. He called one of his best servants in the house. You better look for a wife for my son. Don't take a wife from any of the people over here, but go back to where we come from and swear to me that you will take a wife for my son from my own people. Now it says here, I'm Abraham was very old. So how old was Abraham during this time? Let me fast forward. Genesis 25. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aran, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. You do the math. How old was Abraham? 140. At 100, they had Isaac. And Genesis 25 verse 20 tells us that Isaac was already 40 years old when he got married. So how old was Abraham? 140. Abraham, his father, was more concerned for looking for a, for a wife for him. I'm Isaac. How am I going to extend the family line? I don't have a wife. Okay lang yan. was passive. Why, what else tells us about his passivity? Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Who is the firstborn? Esau. Who was, there were twins, but who came out first? Esau. So who is the eldest? Esau. Who came out second? Isaac. Jacob. Sabi ko sa inyo I'm thinking of Esau. <laughs> All right. Twins. Firstborn was Esau. Second came Jacob. Why is he named Jacob? When his brother was being born, he was grabbing at the heel of Esau. That's why that name Jacob means supplanter. That, why, that, that name means he was grabbing the heel. Okay? Now, here's the scenario. Isaac is already married. Who was the wife? Rebecca. They had twins. Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Isaac had two kids. Esau was the hunter. Who's the other one? Jacob was the homebody. Okay? 
Isaac had Esau as his favorite. Rebekah, the mother, had Jacob as the favorite. So the scenario is this. Esau comes home from hunting and he's tired. And Jacob is cooking. And he's hungry. And he's tired. I need some of that food. I'm famished. What's the deal? According to verse 31. What's the deal? Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. In other words, if you want some of the food that I'm preparing, no problem. But instead of you being blessed, you have to trade your blessing as the firstborn. You trade it to me for some of this food. Now, where is Isaac in the scenario? He's not aware that this conversation is going on. Is this something serious? Your inheritance, which you assign to, let's say, your firstborn, is now being traded between the siblings, and you have no idea what's going on? What else? Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. Overacting. He's just hungry. I'm about to die. So what, what, of, what of what use then is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now who owns the birthright? Jacob. Why? For a bowl of soup. It's not even identified. Give me some of that red stuff. Did Isaac know about this? No. Duh. Like Adam. Eve was being deceived by the devil. Where's Adam? Doesn't know what's going on. He's not a proactive father. Very passive. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham saw to it that Isaac will marry somebody from their family line. And here, you have Esau already married to someone outside of their family line. Where's Isaac? Dad, this is the woman I want to marry. Oh, okay. Ayos. Very passive. He's not involved. Parents, are you involved in your children? Do you know what's going on with them? Do you know who their friends are? Do you know what their likes and dislikes are? Or are you like Isaac? <laughs> okay lang yan. They will learn. Oh yeah. You better be sure they will learn. From their friends, from media, from anyone else. Except from you. 
except from me. Isaac was very passive in his faith. Last example. Genesis 27. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, whether you are really my son, Esau, or not. What's the scenario? By this time, Isaac is already old. His eyes are dim. Rebecca connived with Jacob to deceive Isaac because she overheard. I'm about to die. I need to bless my son. Who is supposed to get the blessing? Esau. But then Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. So they connived. They cooked the meal that Isaac was used to. They slaughtered the goat and got the hairs and put it on Jacob. And then he pretended to be Esau. Now Isaac, how is it that you have, have it so quickly, my son? Because Isaac told them, I'm hungry, prepare my favorite food. Crispy pata. Prepare it. Now, it, those of you who cook, you know, there are some recipes that take a lot of time. You simmer the meat to make it tender, correct? So it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Isaac already had some idea. How is it that you have it so quickly? Because in the background, who was already preparing the food? Rebecca. She was conniving with the son. Why? Because Jacob was her favorite, while Esau was Isaac's favorite. You get the idea? Yeah. Mm. Come close that I may feel you. Whether you are really my son Esau or not. Did Isaac have any clue? Did he have any doubts? I submit to you, he already had some doubts. Why is the food done right away? Come close. Are you really my son Esau? So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Doubt, right? Verse 23, he did not recognize him, so he blessed him. Hello? What do you do when you are not sure? Wait a minute. Cupping my in it, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I mean, why did you have it so quickly? Is that really you? You sound like him, but your hands are not like his hands. You know, those of you who work, you know, carpenter and stuff, there's a lot of calluses, right? Those of you who work the home, not so much. So the voice is the same, but the hands are different. Hmm. What happens? I don't recognize him, but I will bless him anyway. Wow. Are you really my son, Esau? And of course, Jacob said, I am. So he said, bring it to me. I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought him wine and he drank. Hook, line, and sinker. Why? 
because he was hungry. Just like his son Esau, who because he was hungry, sold his birthright. So who got the blessing? Who was the blessing supposed to go to? Esau. Did he have any doubts? Yes, a lot of doubts. But what did he do anyway? He blessed him anyway. And Esau, when he found out, swore that after the days of the mourning for his dad, he will kill his brother Jacob. Abraham had a pioneering faith. Jacob had, Isaac had a very passive faith. And now we look at Jacob, a man of restless faith. Restless, characterized by the inability to remain at rest, unquiet or uneasy, a person, the mind or the heart, never at rest, perpetually agitated or in motion. Jacob's name speaks of who he is. Schemer, supplanter, deceiver. And because of that, he had a restless faith. In Genesis 27, Isaac said to his son, which we read a while ago, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And what did he reply? And he said, Because the Lord your God, not my God, the Lord your God, caused it to happen to me. Liar. Deceiver. Cheat. Isaac already noticed something wrong here. You have the food too quickly. How did that come about? Oh, the Lord your God. As we looked at the life of Jacob, we find out that he and his faith was a borrowed faith. He never had faith for his own until much later in his life. Your God, not my God. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but not my God. Not yet, at least at this time. In Genesis 32, remember? Esau swore that after the days of the mourning for their father Isaac, that he would kill his brother Jacob. Yes? Now, Jacob, because he was a deceiver, met his match in his father-in-law, Laban. He deceived his family. Laban deceived him even more. So finally, he decided to go back home. But what's the problem? Who is at home? Esau. So what did he do? He sent messengers. He sent feelers. Can you go and see if my brother Esau is still mad at me? And then the messenger came back. Oh, your brother Esau, he is on the way to see you. And he has 400 fighting men with him. Now what do you do now? Now you look for God. Now you pray. We don't usually pray when everything is hunky-dory, when everything is fine. We don't usually pray. That's the last on our bucket list. But when things go wrong, oh God! Yes? So what is his prayer? Let's read it. 
Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all thy loving kindness, and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Ah, very emote. He is very emotionally involved in his prayer, right? And he's telling God, he's recounting to God, God, you promised my father and my grandfather that you will bless them. The only thing that I had was this staff when I crossed over. But now, because of your blessing, I'm coming back with two companies. Lots of goods, lots of people, lots of animals, lots of blessings. But he didn't stop there. He said, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. All of a sudden, you remember God and God's promises. Do you treat God that way? I sometimes treat God that way. You know, when the things are not going wrong, God, I will not let you go. When things are going fine, okay, relax, relax. I got this. But now Esau, the guy, his brother, his twin who promised to kill him, is marching with 400 men to meet with him. And he falls on his knees and prays, God Almighty, you told, you're reminding God, God, you promised us this, you promised us that. Because of you, because of this, because of that, you promised, Lord, so protect me, he's going to kill me. Amen. Ah, okay, na. right? God's promises, God's ways, God's time will bring what? God's best. So what should you do now? You just pray to God. You just pray to God. So what is your expectation? God will answer, right? But what if God will not answer right away? What should you do? Wait upon the Lord. So let's see. Very beautiful prayer, you agree? Very heartfelt prayer, you agree? I submit to you that some of us had prayed like this. Right? So what happens next? Oh, then he commanded the, also the second and the third and also who followed his drove, saying, After this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. You shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before him. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So present... So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. He commanded the one in front saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, This belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent from my Lord, sent for my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. Did God tell him to do this? Did God tell him to do this? No. 
So who's scheming is this one? Restless. He prayed. It's good that he prayed. But then he doesn't wait for God. God, you're too slow. Let me fix it for you. God, you said wait. 30 minutes now, wala pa sagot, God. You're late, God. I can picture him. He just said, Amen. Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, who promised this, spare me for my brother is about to kill me. From the, Amen. Oh, this is what you're going to do, huh? Okay, you bring company one. You bring them before you. Okay, after that, give some space. You bring the second company over. Okay, and then after that, you bring. And then when you encounter Esau, this is the script. This is what you will tell him. Restless. Scheming. Couples. When your spouse is not fulfilling their part, what do you usually do? You scheme. You bring money into the picture. You know money? Manipulator. <laughs> you will manipulate the circumstance so that you will get what you want. Because your spouse is not doing what he or she is supposed to do. Is that a rested faith? Or is that a restless faith? You see, if you really trust God, you will do your part, you will pray, and you will wait on God. You will not want to mess around with God's recipe. Children, the same thing. You don't get what you want from your parents. So who comes into the picture again? Many again. Tantrum. You don't want to study well because you don't get the attention. You want to stay out with your, your friends because your, my parents don't understand me. Oh, right? Are you a Christian? Yes. So why don't you honor your parents? Oh, well, they don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> Restless. What did Jesus Christ say? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. What? I will give you rest. Friends, the solution to our restlessness is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not believe by faith that God is working, you will take matters into your own hands. Just like Jacob. On the one side of his mouth, he says, Oh God, help me. On the other side of his mouth, this is what we're going to do. If God has not told you yet, what should you do? Wait. Trust in the timing of God. Because if you believe that He is a rewarder, what is that reward? Is that the best reward for you? Yes. But because we are impatient, which is a byproduct because of our lack of faith, we take matters into our own hands, and when things go wrong, guess what? God! 
Why did you do this? Jacob had a restless faith. Jacob had a son. His name was Joseph. He had a tested faith. Tested. The means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. A means of trial. The trial of the quality of something. A particular process or method for trying or assessing. Now why do we refer to Joseph as one who had a tested faith? Genesis 37. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. While he was still a youth, along with his sons, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wife, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. The word bad report I shared with you is the word dar. It means a negative deceitful report he gave a bad report he basically lied about his brothers reporting that to their father now if you are that sibling who gives you a bad report to your dad or your mom mm, you like that sibling your body bodies with that sibling no now look at verse 3 now Israel Jacob Loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. He's already giving me a bad report to my dad and he gets the very colored tunic because he's dad's favorite. You see the tension in their family here. Siblings who don't talk. You remember my cousin? They are, I have to count because we are a big family. One had eight, we had nine, the other one had ten. I think they're the, the one who had eight kids. Why did nobody take care of my cousin? Because their relationship was full of tension. They would not speak to each other. In Bacolod during that time, he had my cousin in Daiteri, the eldest, Ricky, and Peewee, the youngest. Nobody ministered to his, even to his body. Why? Bad relationship. Joseph started off with a bad relationship. Negative report to dad. Plus, he's the favorite. Ah. So they couldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. So what did they do? When they saw him from a distance before he came close, they plotted to put him to death. Wow. This family is something else. I mean, can you plot the death of your own brother or sister? Maybe you, you, sometimes you think about it. <laughs> but they plotted. It's something else to say plotted. They're planning it out. Okay? They're planning it out. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, what did they do? They stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. He took him and threw him into the pit. Now luckily, the pit was empty without any water in it. If not, he would have drowned. So they didn't kill him. They didn't pursue their plan to kill him. They put him in an empty pit. 
When some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, sold him to the Israelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph to Egypt. So instead of killing him, they put him in a pit, they pulled him out, they sold him to the Midianites. They traded him for 20 shekels of silver. What happened to him? The Midianites brought him to Egypt. Okay, what happens in Egypt? Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So imagine you're being traded like a commodity. Your, your brothers sell you to the Midianites, who in turn will sell you to Potiphar in Egypt. So now, you're in Potiphar. You, are, you have the run of Potiphar's household. Potiphar had no problem because he saw God's presence was with you. And everything you did was blessed of God. So I can go to work, I can do what I need to do because Joseph is taking care of my house. I have nothing to worry about except Potiphar did not know that his wife wanted Joseph. But Joseph resisted. He said, I cannot sin against God and I cannot sin against Potiphar. He has entrusted everything to me except you. And every day, the Bible says, Every day, Mrs. Potiphar would come to Joseph, have sex with me. Every day, Joseph would say no. So what happens? He gets into trouble. He is falsely accused. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. Now did Joseph do anything? No. It was Mrs. Potiphar who wanted to do something. But because Joseph was faithful to God, he got falsely accused. And because of that, Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail. From the pit to the trader to the house to the jail. So while you're in the jail, what happens? Genesis 40. He shares his interpretation of dreams with two other prisoners. After three days, you will live. You, on the other hand, after three days, you will die. When that thing comes to pass, the one who survived, the baker, was called back into the palace. And then he said, before the baker was called, he said, only keep me in mind. Remember me when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Did Joseph want to be out of the jail? Yes. What was the key? The baker. The baker is going to go back to the household of Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh about me so I can get out of here. Why? For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. You know, I miss this. I miss the perspective of Joseph. Look at his perspective. I was kidnapped. He still gave a more or less positive report about his brothers. He could have said, you know, my brothers wanted to kill me. And then they threw me in the pit. But then they changed their mind. But my brothers, they're evil. In his perspective, what? Oh, I got kidnapped. And that uh, I, I got sold here. This tells me so much about Joseph and his attitude. So he tells the baker, tell the king, tell Pharaoh about me. Okay? 
Because I want to get out of here too. So what happens? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. But what? Forgot him. How long? Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. Joseph was forgotten in the jail by the baker whom he gave a good positive interpretation for two years. Two years. I don't know what the baker was baking for two years that he would forget Joseph. Oh, cupbearer. Yeah, the cup. Okay. Two years. Joseph wanted to get out. Yes? Cupbearer forgot him. So we shared with you this slide. He started as a favored son. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold as a slave. He was promoted to house manager. He was falsely accused. He was in prison. Then while he was in jail, he was promoted. But then he was forgotten. And then he rose up after interpreting the dream of Pharaoh. He became the prime minister of Egypt. And when their father died, and his brothers trembled in their feet, because now dad is dead, Joseph might take revenge for what we have done to him. So for the first time, for the first time, they ask for forgiveness from Joseph. And this is what Joseph said. After going through all of these tests, he said, As for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, the perspective of Joseph, despite his testings, his focus, his faith was on God. You may have had other plans, but God meant it for good because God put me in this situation so that I could preserve our line so that God will continue to fulfill His promise through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and now through me to preserve our family because at the end from the family the tribe of Judah comes Jesus Christ the Messiah the Savior of the world you, you like like this? I don't like if you like let's talk <laughs> I will refer you to a professional Nobody likes this. Right? You want a little, you know, going up, always positive. You don't like, one day you're like this, one day you're like that. Brother Adrian preached on that. Extreme heat, extreme cold. But what happens to that steel? Becomes strong. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph's legacy as a man of faith he finished well. He was very faithful in everything that he, he had done. He was a man of integrity. And as a young man, he had great impact which led to the saving of the nation of Israel. 
the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Some passages say this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise, who was offering up only his begotten son. It was he to whom he said, In Isaac your descendants shall be blessed. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Abraham's pioneering faith, Isaac's passive faith, Jacob's restless faith, and Joseph's tested faith. But none of them saw the promise of God. Because in verse 13 it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Why? Because he, Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. My friends, if this is the only life that we are looking for and looking forward to, we should be pitied. This life is full of trouble, heartache, pain, and suffering. But in heaven, there will be no weeping, no gnashing of teeth, no more sickness, no more death. So where should you and I be preparing for? Life here or life in heaven? I submit to you, you and I should be preparing ourselves for a life of eternity with God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in heaven. And there we will see everyone who has gone ahead, who have put their faith and lived by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Uh, but uh, pastor, you know, I don't sure, I'm not sure, I haven't done this yet, so I don't know if God will accept me, or God will do this, or God will do that. Can I encourage you this morning, before we partake of the Lord's Supper? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. My friends, salvation is a gift of God. Just like any other gift, you have a choice whether you will receive it or you will reject it. You will only receive eternal life as a gift from God if you believe. See what it says there? For by grace you have been saved through faith. But pastor, how do I know that this is the right faith? How do I exercise faith? Look at the next line. This not of yourselves. My friends, even the capacity to put faith in Christ comes from God. All you need to do is to trust 
what Jesus Christ has already done at the cross. For by grace, you don't deserve it. God gives it to you. That is grace. For by God's grace, you have been saved. Salvation is already done. It's already made available. All you need to do is put your faith in Christ. And even the, f I'm really just so amazed that even the faith to believe comes from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is what? A gift. So the choice is yours. It is a gift of God, not by works. You cannot do enough. You cannot give enough. You cannot be good enough to merit salvation because it is a gift. What if somebody gives you a gift and you pay? Is that still a gift? It's no longer a gift. That's a transaction. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. So what then do I do? If you are a child of God, by faith, then your life must be evidenced by a life of good works because for we are, work, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. One way to express our faith this morning is through the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Before we partake, let us look at some reminders and warnings from the Apostle Paul. For I received from you the Lord, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you, drink, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak, are sick, and a number have fallen asleep. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper, is your declaration, number one, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, I am willing to forego any known sin and I'm not going to cherish any other sin. The Bible tells us that you must examine yourself. Look at verse 28. But a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Before we do that, Ask yourselves. Ask the Lord to reveal to you. Number one, do I have Jesus Christ? Well, I don't have Jesus Christ yet. What did I just share with you in Ephesians chapter 2? Accept the gift. It's free. We like free, right? It's free. It's by God's grace. All you need to do is number one, turn away, repent. God, I don't want to live a life of sin anymore. God, I want Jesus Christ because He paid for all of my sin. Invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. 
and commit. Lord, with your help, I want to follow you. I cannot do this on my own. And if you believe in what God promised you, and you are willing to forego of any known sin, and you're not willing to let sin just be, you know, have an easy time with sin. Ah, do this, do that. God hates sin so much that He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sin. If that is the attitude of your heart, come, partake of the bread and the juice. They are elements. They are representations of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Come, partake of the table of mercy. Eat of the wine and the bread. Come, partake. Be in an attitude of prayer this morning as the others are coming up to partake of the bread and the juice. Let's make sure that people downstairs have their elements as well. And our media team up, front, up there. And we will partake together. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there any sin in your life you're not willing to give up? These are the questions that Jesus answer. Because Paul reminds us to examine ourselves. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine us this morning so that we do not partake in an unworthy manner some of whom have fallen sick and have even died.
trust what you say that you're good and your love is great i'm broken inside i give you my life anyone else who does not have the elements the juice and the bread that Your represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Me, Come my forward. Flesh may fail. My God, you never will. Cause I may be weak. But your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. Give us faith, Lord Jesus. Lord, your word says that if we have faith even as small as the mustard seed, we can move mountains. God, teach us, Lord, to by faith be assured of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And if there is anyone here this morning who is not sure, before we partake, will you make sure just ask Jesus to come into your life. Tell him, Lord, I want to turn away from a life of sin. I need you in my life. I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. And I invite you to come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And help me to live for you. A life of faith. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He lifted it up and prayed. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same night, in the same way, he took the cup, lifted it up and gave thanks. And he said, this is the cup of my blood. The blood of the new covenant which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. God, we hate sin. And we acknowledge that without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness for our sins. Help us, Lord God, to run away from sin. We remember you, Lord Jesus. The sacrifice that you gave, the life that you gave up, the blood that you shed so that we could be part of your kingdom. And in obedience, Lord, and because we love you, we want to remember you this morning. Let's partake of the juice. God Almighty, thank you that we can do this. We can worship you. That we can bless you. That we can remember you. That we can celebrate you. 
It's all about you, Jesus. And we give you thanks, honor, glory, power, and praise now and for all the generations to come. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen.